Welcome to the Limited Slip Podcast, your week's automotive news in 20 minutes. We compress all the news in the auto, motorcycle, and racing worlds for you into our 20-minute podcast. Your hosts are Dave, an attorney and car importer, and Borja, who owns an auto repair shop. This is Dave and Borja on this week's Limited Slip Podcast. This week's Limited Slip Podcast is brought to you by Retro Mobile Designs. If you are looking for auto and racing themed t-shirts that look cool to the average Joe, but get an approving nod from other petrol heads, check them out at RetroMobileDesigns.com. Good evening, Borja. Good evening to you, my good sir. So today we're going to talk about, we got about a, we got a few different topics. I got to say the automotive news is still, it's still a little bit slower than it was a couple months ago, but we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about Rivian's charging network. We're going to talk a little bit about the Volkswagen ID buzz, buzz, bus. Exactly. We're going to talk about the, the Nissan Z. We're going to talk about Porsche's subscription service. We're going to talk about a Pagani and we're going to talk about formula one. So Let's get to it. Let's do it. So yeah, so Rivian has announced that they're going to make a charging network, a nationwide for the United States, a nationwide charging network. And it is only for Rivians. So I wonder where they got this idea from. Man, do you have any ideas? Um, you know what? More I think of it, I can't really, nope. No, I don't, I, whatever they're doing, this is revolutionary because... I just never, I would have never thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think probably uh, they snuck into Elon's office and were penning, you know, flipping through his notes. Um, I think, I think that this is a big deal because they are really the first ones to come in and say, we're going to have a nationwide charging network. That's just for us. And, you know, basically we're going to copy Tesla and, you know, why has no one else done this? I don't know, but no one else has. And the, the interesting thing, the way that they're marketing it is they're having charging networks that will take you to and charge you at all of the national parks. That's their, that's their deal. So I guess if you're an adventure person, then get a Rivian. Yeah. So basically what uh, Rivian is telling us is you can take your Rivian anywhere you want, as long as it's a national park. Yeah. Trying to convince us that if you love the environment, you will buy a Rivian. Well, we shall love, see how that goes. If you love small electric bus things, you will get a Volkswagen ID bus. Go, go ahead and let, you know, what's, what's the deal with that? Uh, I love the bus bus. Uh, it, it, it looks fantastic. Um, and you know, there's been rumors for quite some time that Volkswagen has been working on some kind of EV bus that would somehow uh, make you, that'll resemble, or resemble the original bus uh, that, that Volkswagen released many moons ago. Well, over the last few months, Volkswagen confirmed that they were actually going to do it. And that was a pretty big deal, at least for me, because I'm, I'm a big Volkswagen fan. And then I become a big van fan. So this is kind of like two worlds collide. 
we were like, that's great that they announced they're going to do it. Fantastic. But they didn't specify where it was going to be sold. And so recently they announced that it is actually coming to the States. Um, not all the versions are going to come to the States. So Europe, of course, will have um, all the, the different versions available. So Europe will have either a passenger van, but there will also be a cargo version of the van. Uh, the United States will only get the passenger van. In Europe, you can also get a short wheelbase and then a long wheelbase in the US. We're only gonna be getting one of those. I'm assuming it's gonna be the long wheelbase we'll be getting here in the United States. Um, and then there's a few other things that, uh, that hasn't been confirmed yet. Um, as far as uh, battery size and engine, I'm sorry, and uh, range and power, there are some rumors, and these rumors are pretty strong. Um, the rumors is basically going to be you can have two main versions, a rear-wheel drive and an all-wheel drive. Uh, the rear-wheel drive, they're saying that it's going to have around the 200 horsepower mark, somewhere around there. And the flagship is going to be around 300 horsepower with the all-wheel drive setup. Um, as far as uh, battery packs, nothing confirmed yet, but the rumor has been that um, they will probably sell a battery around the 111 kilowatt hour range, which wow. should give you around 340 miles of range. Yeah. Uh, and also something very neat, uh, apparently Volkswagen is um, kind of tinkering and see if they can make this work, but they're seeing if they can actually mount uh, solar panels in the roof and get an additional nine or 10 miles of range. You know, I saw some, I saw some guy do that too, as Tesla with the solar Tesla solar roof. He, you know, Jerry rigged it on and it, and it actually worked. Okay. I, I, I think that's going to be a trend that we're going to see in the future. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but, uh, there were a few years back, Audi actually put a solar panel in their, uh, in their, um, in the roof. In, yeah. in, like where in the, the moon roof was. Yeah. Where the moon roof was exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm sure that Volkswagen will nail that out, but I'm excited that it is actually coming to the U.S. and it's coming in 2023 as a 2024 model. Yeah. So we're not talking about having to wait 10 years for this thing to come into production. We're just talking a couple of years uh, from now. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for it. Yeah, I think that's a pretty sweet. It's a pretty sweet little design that they have. I, I just hope that they make it air cooled so I can get so so Borja so Borja can buy a rear wheel drive air cooled Volkswagen bus. I think that yes. would be, that would that would do it for you. Oh yes, yes it would. I um you know the I forgot the name of it, but the Porsche had their in their secret prototypes that they had made. They made a um it was basically like a Volkswagen bus, a little electric Volkswagen bus. Do you remember? Oh, that? yes. Yes. I remember that. I, I, I remember seeing images. It was uh, painted red. I remember. And yeah. it looked stellar. It, yes. Yeah. yeah. It looked, it looked great. I, I was, there was some article, um, I forget who, which, which publication had it, but they were like, they, they had some article and the title was that they were shocked that, that Porsche isn't going to sell, isn't going to put into production that concept and i was like what <laughs> how was that how is that surprising in any way but but i think that the volkswagen the buzz bus is i think um kind of the incarnation of that so. i think so too and i think it's going to sell like hotcakes because not only i think it looks great it's funky retro and modern all at the same time yeah but um 
something that's been happening over the last few years, we've seen this huge trend of people actually living in their vans, you know, this van life yep. and uh, people not only um, living in, uh, off their vans, but then vacationing on their vans. And this is going to be a perfect vehicle for it. Uh, there's really no other EV out there that could come close to what this can give you. I'm sure that other manufacturers will jump on this as soon as they see that the VW bus will start selling like hotcakes. Um, but yeah, this is going to be the first. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I think that I definitely think we'll see a West Folia version at some point. And yes. Yeah. Pretty, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yep. Are you, are you going to get one? Uh, I would love to get one. Yeah. I don't know how much they haven't released pricing and uh, nothing like that, but yes, I would love to get one. Uh, I would totally get rid of our minivan to get one of these. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about the Nissan Z. Do you want to give us the rundown on that? Yeah. So this week on the Nissan Z, we've, we've actually talked about the Z in previous podcasts and we said, we both agreed that it's going to be a fantastic car. And there's still a few things that they were not announced and we were just kind of hearing rumors, but this week, an internal memo was leaked and uh, with some pretty interesting information. The Z, um, or we call it, or most people have been calling it the 400Z. Um, so the first thing that Nissan has said on this internal memo that was leaked is that the, the Z will be known as just the Z with around the world with the exception of Japan, where in Japan, they will name it the Fair Lady Z. That's a traditional uh, name, I mean, in Japan. Yes, it's traditional. Um, another thing that has been confirmed by the internal memo is that the Z will be getting the Q, Infinity Q60 Red Sport engine, which is the VR30 DDT. It's a three liter V6, generates around 350 foot pounds of torque uh, and around the 400 horsepower range. We don't know if the torque and the horsepower is gonna be exactly the same, but you know, we have seen that those are the numbers that we get in the Infinity. So it, they're going to be around that, those numbers, which is a healthy number, really. Well, one of the things I think is interesting is it shows the weight. So the the weight is the, for the coupe is, which implies that there's going to be a convertible, a convertible at some point, right? Which yep. which is not unexpected, but oh. it, you know, it's not something that we had heard before either. So that's news in itself. But it says that the coupe will weigh. 3,250 pounds. That yeah. is 200 pounds less than a four-cylinder Supra. And speaking about the four-cylinder Supra, we have, uh, now that we're talking about the weight, not only is, is it lighter, but it's also cheaper. Mm, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. The, the, you know, okay. So the Z only comes with one engine, right? I mean, you only get only the one engine. You only get the 400 horsepower engine, which is and let's be honest, what would you want anything else? Yeah, I mean, 3,200 pounds, 400 horsepower. That's that's like the sweet spot. Exactly. So, so you get 400 horsepower. And the starting price is $35,000. So, which is incredible. Which is, is, is that, that's slightly less than the four-cylinder Supra, right? It's actually, I wouldn't say slightly less. So the four-cylinder Supra starts at 42,990. So we're talking about what? Well, that's right, that's right, yeah. So it's seven, yeah, 7, seven grand. Yeah. Yeah, $7,000 less than the two liter four-cylinder Supra. And then if you wanna get the BMW Z4, uh, uh, that one 
uh, comes with the uh, with the three liter inline six, that one starts at forty nine thousand seven hundred dollars. And if you want to get the Supra with also the three liter inline six, that one starts at fifty thousand nine hundred and ninety. Yeah, I mean it's 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 almost an entirely different price bracket. Oh yeah, and with a much better design. You're correct, a better design, and not and not only is it a more classic shape and design, as in I think that it's going to be, it's going to age well. It, it has a certain simplicity to it that lends it to be beautiful, mm -hmm. but it also has all of the details right. It has it's spicy enough and it's classic enough that exactly. it's gonna, it's going to it's going to it looks good now and it will continue to look good in the future. And I think it's an open question as to whether the Supra is going to age well at all you know and, and this is the kind of the tragedy of this i mean here we are we're, we're projecting that this that the nissan z is gonna is gonna stomp the supra the tragedy of that is that if toyota had made their own supra instead of using the bmw i think it would be a, a totally different story it would yes i mean the, the thing about the the and, the and that's also which i was just going to say one of the things that makes the Z so special is that it's all Nissan product, um, which we can't say that about the the Toyota. And at the end of the day, whether you like Nissan or not, one of the things that is fantastic about the Nissan Z products is, in my opinion, they've always had great engines. The 350, sure, it's not the most powerful engine, but it's a good engine. The 370, same thing. It's not the, the most powerful engine out there, but it's a good, solid engine. It's reliable, it had enough power, they sound great, and this is gonna be no exception. Yeah. And so this thing, I think it's gonna be a future classic. So if you can get your hands on one of these, uh, enjoy it, take care of it, there's no way that you're gonna lose money on this thing. Yeah, well, again, this is one of our most anticipated cars of, of it, the coming year, as we talked about in our end of year podcast. Yes, indeed. Well, so let's, let's talk for a second about Porsche's subscription model. So a bunch of different manufacturers, Volvo, Cadillac, a bunch of different manufacturers have, have tried out some form of a subscription service where basically you pay a monthly fee, you get a, you get a car, you can switch out the car as often as you want. Sometimes you can get different kinds of cars, uh, you know, as in different models. And it includes insurance and maintenance and, you know, concierge service and et cetera, et cetera. And, and they try to get it pretty close to what a nice lease price, you know, a zero down lease price would be. Yeah. So one by one, these things have, they've fallen by the wayside. Just people are just not interested in them. I, and I don't know how, it, I mean, the model doesn't, doesn't speak to me personally, but I know that there's certainly some people who value that convenience. I wonder if it's partially because of a lack of effective marketing, like people just don't know that it's available, but for whatever, it, you know, for that reason, or because people just don't want it, all of these manufacturers have one by one stopped offering the subscription service, except for Porsche. Porsche has managed as only Porsche can do they managed mm -hmm. to make this thing profitable and not just profitable, but very profitable. And so they are expanding their subscription service. And this, this could be 
something that has wide-reaching implications. Yeah, I mean, leave it to Porsche, right, to get a rock and sell it for a lot of money. Uh, if there's one manufacturer that can do it, it's definitely been Porsche. They just have this knack of being able to pretty much make a, a good amount of profit on whatever they sell. Um, and you know, it, it's interesting because on the article that I read recently, they they reached out to Porsche and they said, hey, you know, obviously you guys are not the first ones to have a subscription-based uh, model. And every other manufacturer who has tried it, eventually they ended up canceling. Why is it that you guys are expanding? And in a very German way, they just said, simple, we're making money. And hence why we're expanding. Um, and so here in the United States, you can get it in Atlanta, you can get it in Dallas, Texas, and then you get in a bunch of other uh, cities in out throughout California. Uh, they also have a single versus a multi-vehicle subscription. So if you just wanted to try out different Macans or 718s or Cayennes, you can do that. Or you can jump up to a multi-vehicle that will include uh, different vehicles from the Porsche lineup that you can switch out. Uh, part of the subscription model is that your insurance is covered, uh, your maintenance is also covered, and uh, also they have what they call the Porsche concierge service, which is they'll deliver the car to you anywhere within 20 miles of the participating Porsche dealership. Yeah. And of course, when they deliver the car, they'll pick the, the one that you're returning and then they'll, they'll drive it back to, to, the, uh, to the dealership. Yeah. So, to, to give our listeners a price, you know, an understanding of the price, I'll, I'll just go through them really fast. So you have the Macan, $1,600 a month, which, you know, I mean, look, like if you're getting a Macan with that, with very many options, that's, that's really not that far off of what a zero down lease is going to be. So, right. or, you know, or a zero down payment. So there's, there's that, uh, you have a 718, this is the, the boxer in the Cayman. So that's you know, nears makes no difference. $2,000 a month. Um, Cayenne, $2,200 a month, Panamera, 2,800, the 911, 3000, and the Taycan, 3200. Now, if you want the, the multi-tier, you know, the one that has different models, there's, there's two, there's the premium and there's the, the, the base one. The base one is 2100 a month. And that basically includes, you know, more or less everything except the 911. You, know, have, you have the Panamera, the Cayenne, the Porsche, Boxster and Cayman, the Macan. And if you want to include the the 911, then it's thirty one hundred dollars a month. So it's, I think that there's some value to this, especially. I think it makes way less sense for Volvo. I think it makes may. I think it makes way more sense for Porsche because if you have a 911, you get so many options on the 911. It gets so expensive so fast, and and oftentimes the people who are buying these new, you you have you end up with two kinds of buyers. You have the person who always wanted a Porsche, they saved up their money, and it's something that they're going to keep forever because they're just deeply passionate about it. And then you have someone else. You have the other set of buyers, which are kind of just they want something premium, they want something sporty. Maybe they like Porsche, but they're not, you know, completely dedicated to the brand, and they just they want something nice that they can drive all the time, and they have the money to to afford a 911 for for that purpose. And I think that it kind of makes sense in that perspective of someone who's, you know, they just need to have the newest thing. They need to have a new 911 all the time, you know, because now you're in this, you're in the position where you can say, Hey, it's, 
it's April or it's August or whatever. And, and I want a convertible now. Well, I'm just going right. to, you know, I, I just call up Porsche and they come and they pick up the 911 that I have and they bring me a convertible right? or, or it's winter time. I want a four wheel drive one, you know, and they bring you a Carrera 4S. Bada yep. boom. I think, I think I'm not going to say that I think Porsche is onto something because I, I do think that there's a lot of holes in this business model. And I don't know how, I don't know how wide ranging the interest is in this because I think that people generally want to own their car, but it is interesting. I mean, it is interesting. Apparently, I mean, apparently there's enough hype and demand that they're wanting to expand. Yeah. And so, and I think where it comes, when it comes to the single vehicle subscription, I'm not entirely convinced uh, on it. it. It does make, uh, some points of it does make sense, but as a whole, I'm like, hmm, I'm not sure if it convinces me, but with the multi-vehicle subscription, I think uh, it like, oh, now we're talking um, because you, you, you have access to, to the entire Porsche lineup. Uh, sure, you're paying a hefty number every month, but still uh, you have everything that any Porsche that you want, you can have it. And also something that we forgot to mention is if you get the single vehicle, you can drive up to 1500 miles a month. But if you get the multi-vehicle, you can drive 2000 miles a month. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that 2,000 miles a month, it's probably enough. I mean, we're talking about 24,000 miles a year. Yeah, I don't uh, think very many people drive that much. Especially if you have a Porsche. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that especially when it comes to the multi-vehicle, when it comes to the miles, they have been very generous. And, you know, for $3,100 a month, you can get an 911 or a Panamera or a Cayenne or a 718 or a Macan, and your insurance is covered and your maintenance is covered. And so for someone who is kind of, oh, of course, this is only for the client that they're like, you know what, I, I'm not interested in buying, I'm okay with just leasing because I, I love the brand, but I just don't want to deal with the hassle of having to deal with the repairs or out of warranty things. And also I just want the, the latest and greatest Then this plan would be, it makes sense for, for that kind of person. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, inter it's interesting. And I wonder if, I wonder if other premium manufacturers, like I wonder if this is the type of thing that only works for the premium models and it would work for other premium vehicle manufacturers. I guess we'll see, you know. We'll uh, see. I know Mercedes tried it here in the United States, in Atlanta, and they actually had it for a number of years, but they ended up canceling it because it just wasn't making a whole lot of sense. Pricing though was very similar when it came to the, about the $3,000 range, if I recall correctly, but you could get access to uh, an SL, you could get access to a G-Wagon. Um, but I think that um, the biggest problem that maybe Mercedes had over the last few years, and I may be criticized by some and that's okay, I'll take it, is that a lot of their models uh, in recent years have not felt special enough to justify that kind of price tag. Yeah. Um, they're good cars and some of them are great cars, the G-Wagon is a great car, um, among others. But, you know, you were spending $2,500 a month for an E-Class uh, or you were spending uh, or, for, or for a GL. And if you're going to be spending that kind of money, I just don't feel like the E-Class or the GL are special enough to justify that price tag. But if we look at Porsche's lineup, what's not special about it i mean the the macan if you're looking for a small suv 
that has all the tech that you want, that has great looks, that performs well, and it's on the sporty side, you won't find anything better than the Macan. Uh, if you want a small convertible, you won't find anything better than a 718. And if you want a fast saloon, you can get a Panamera. And sure, there's the RS6 and some AMG products that can rival the, the Panamera, but um, they're up there. It's not like the Panamera is any worse. It's probably the, the worst looking one of the bunch, but performance and tech-wise is there. And if you want uh, a great sports car, not the fastest out there, but a great sports car, you have an 11. And if we're honest, unless you get into the hyper vehicles, every other sports car is always compared to the 911. Everybody that tests any other sports car is like, okay, that's a great car. How does it compare to the 911? So the whole range is fantastic. And I think it justifies the price that they're wanting to charge. Yeah. Before we get to the rest of the show, take a moment to subscribe. If you enjoy our insights and want to help keep our lights on, you can visit our businesses. Borja runs a full-service auto repair shop in Orem, Utah. You can find him on Facebook at Auto Pros Utah. And trust me, he really can fix anything. Dave imports cars from South America and Europe, primarily classic trucks like FJ40s and Land Rovers. But he can help you source any classic car in any condition that you want, from cars that were never sold in the U.S. to trucks that are just cheaper with less rust overseas. Visit Dave at DaveTheCarImporter.com. There's no reason for you not to have the car of your dreams, even if it's forbidden fruit. Let's talk. Let's talk for a little bit about the the new Huayra. So ooh, Pagani, yes. Pagani, and in, indeed, ooh yes, Pagani yes, has. Indeed. We know that they're getting close to the end of production for their magnificent Huayra. So because they have released the Huayra R, so this is a, a track day, is a track special, not legal for public roads. Um, it's a you know, obviously the Huayra is a, a you know, multi-million dollar car, handmade, a beautiful piece of art. The news here is that they, they changed the engine. So now it has a naturally aspirated V12 that is just, it is glorious. And um, it comes with some optional mufflers. So if you have a track that has a, you know, a, a decibel limit, they can uh, help you keep under the decibel limit with some mufflers. But otherwise, it just sounds like... I believe, as you said, it, it sounds like an old Formula One car. It certainly does. I mean, you take those uh, fantastic Formula One engines from the 90s, those V12s, and then early 2000s when they downgraded to the V10s, but still sounded great. That's what you get with the Wire R. Um, this is a V12 with a red line of 9,000 RPMs, naturally aspirated. It sounds glorious. There's no other way to put it. Uh, even if the rest of the car uh, was not there, it still justifies the price tag. I think that they're just basically telling you, we're giving you a fantastic engine. The car is for free. <laughs> and I mean, so here's a, here are some numbers. 850 horsepower, 9,000 RPM, uh, fantastic looks, fantastic performance. It all comes packed in 1,050 kilograms. That's nothing. That's nothing. And they're only going to be making 30 examples of it. And it's going to be where well, they're selling. Well, they're going to be selling it for 2.6 million euros plus tax. If you haven't uh, 
had a chance to take a look at the video that Pagani released when they were doing some testing on the engine. Do yourself a favor. Um, go find it. You will sleep better tonight. <laughs> I promise you. Well, okay. So let's get to the last thing. Let's talk about the Formula Uno. Yes, Formula One is back. Uh, it seems like it was forever ago that uh, the season ended, but uh, we're back this weekend. Uh, as we know, a lot of drivers have changed um, teams. Uh, a lot of people are now in different teams, and, and um, Mercedes, of course, is always the team to beat, but uh, we've already been able to see two sets of practice for the weekend, and we have seen some very interesting results thus far. Yeah, I, I, I really only had a chance to look at the, as of this recording, we've only had free practice too. Um, I, I saw the results, but only only briefly. And surprisingly, Lewis Hamilton was not at, top, at the top. On neither both practice one nor two. That's correct. So who, who was at the top? So for uh, practice um, one, uh, Verstappen was at the very top, followed by Valtteri Bottas in the Mercedes, followed by Lando Norris. Uh, Hamilton was actually fourth, uh, Charles Leclerc was fifth, and Sergio Perez was sixth. Um, that was for practice uh, number one. The gap between uh, Verstappen and Bottas, which was second, we're talking about close to three-tenths of a second. Um, so the difference is not humongous, but no, that, uh, that's still that's it, 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 it's still a good chunk for F1. Um, but here's the interesting thing about what's been going on during these practice sessions. Every last couple of years, uh, as we know, uh, before the season starts, F1 is allowed to do some testing, some winter testing to make sure that they get the car kind of a little bit dialed in uh, for the, the new season. Mm -hmm. The last couple of years, Mercedes have said, oh, we've had issues with the car. It's not as great as the previous season. And over the last couple of years, they haven't been the best when it comes to preseason testing. But then when the season actually starts and practice starts, they just dominate how just the same way that they've been doing over the last few years. This year was no different. During the winter testing, they were saying, you know what, the car is not great. We've had some issues. I mean, not great for Mercedes terms and what we're, but what basically they have uh, showed us over the last few years, just total dominance. Um, and this year was more of the same. The car is not as good as the as last year. Uh, we've had some issues. We're working some of the kinks out, blah, 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 the usual spiel. And then practice starts. And well, you have Bottas in second and Hamilton in fourth position for the first round of practice and for the second round Hamilton was third and Bottas was fifth uh, with Verstappen once again leading the pack in uh, practice number two and Lando Norris once again at the very top hmm. and Sainz uh, which is, he left McLaren to go uh, race for Ferrari he was able to get in uh, in fourth position uh, right between the, the Mercedes, he split the Mercedes right in between. Hamilton's third, Sainz was fourth, Bottas was fifth. Then Bottas comes out and saying, you know what, the car is good, but it, it, we've had some issues. And there's something about the car that it feels a little bit uneasy and we're trying to figure out what's going on. And obviously from the times, we're seeing that maybe this is the year that Mercedes will have it 
a lot more difficult to win and not a lot more difficult to win just by Red Bull, but Ferrari seems to be up there too or close to them. And McLaren is also seems to be up there. So now we have three other teams that could potentially not only make Hamilton not win the championship, but uh, also uh, not allow Mercedes to win another constructors championship. Because if you look at the driver's lineup, uh, Mercedes has a strong lineup as they've always had over the last few years, but the other teams have really stepped up the game. And when it comes to having a strong lineup, Ferrari has a really strong lineup this year. You have Charles Leclerc, you have Carlos Sainz, both young guys, both hungry for a victory, both very talented. You look at Red Bull, Max Verstappen. I mean, what is there more to say about Max Verstappen? The guy can do it. There's no question about it. And then they decided to uh, get rid of Albon to bring Sergio Perez, which he had a great season last year. No question about it. Yeah. Uh, and then you also have in the McLaren team, you have Lando Norris and you have uh, Mr. Smile. Danny Ricardo. And so great lineup all around that could really, really threaten Mercedes dominance this year. And I, for one, I'm very happy for it. Yeah, I think it's really surprising because Lewis Hamilton, he spun three times he during, did. during testing yeah. and, and they were all like, it wasn't, you know, it was clear that he was having a hard time controlling the car, which is a surprise considering it's Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, I, yeah. And, we, and, we, and this is something that we've, we've talked about in the podcast before. We know that Hamilton is it's very cold. It's very calculating. He just doesn't make mistakes. Yeah. yeah. So this no, is yeah. something very unusual for him to be making the, these mistakes. And then Bottas comes out and saying the same thing, that the car is feels a bit uneasy. Um, also, let me run some, some of the times for uh, practice number two. The difference between Verstappen, which was first, and Lando Norris in the McLaren as second was not even a tenth of a second difference. And then the difference between Hamilton, which was third, and Verstappen uh, first is a little over two tenths of a second. Hmm. So, yeah. And if we look at the other Mercedes, Bottas, which came out as fifth in uh, practice number two, the time difference between him and Verstappen as first was almost four tenths of a second. Yeah. So I, I think the I think, and we don't really know how solid these numbers are. I mean, you never know from practice and from and from preseason testing. It is possible that Mercedes is kind of sandbagging. You know, they have done that before. This time certainly does feel different. It does. But I gotta say, one thing we do know for certain is that we we felt like Red Bull was coming into the season and they were and they were taking strides they were improving and it certainly seems like that's the case a surprise and so this is something that we also know for sure now is that Ferrari has taken a big step forward over where they were last year which of course was maybe not hard for them to it's, no, I mean it couldn't have gotten any worse so it, it was the worst season in 40 years yeah. So, but they, but they're right back. They're I mean, right back. They're, they are certainly back there with, you know, close to Mercedes. Yeah. And a surprising thing also is that we're pretty certain that uh, McLaren has now, and I think that their driver lineup is really good, but yeah. their machine certainly seems 
you know, like they have the Mercedes power and, and it seems like the, the issues with the Mercedes are not with the power. It seems like it's with the rear suspension or, or maybe the rear aerodynamics, you know, it's a, it's a drivability and a stability issue that's causing it to be ultimately is causing it to lose ultimate speed, whatever it is. And we were talking about this. I think it was even uh, two weeks ago that we didn't, I was, I had some questions that Mercedes Benz's rear end, the way that they have their their connections and everything and their transmission, et cetera. It's unique. And I don't know how much McLaren is using out of that. If, if any of it, for whatever reason, McLaren seems to have it figured out their, their rear end is hooked up. Their vehicle is drivable. They have the power. Now they should have reliability and they look, they look dangerous. They do. I mean, last year, uh, the only team that could maybe, and this was a big maybe, could come close to uh, Mercedes was Red Bull. Oh, and that was that was with everything went right for Red Bull and everything went wrong for Mercedes, then maybe they could hang in there. Maybe they could hang in there, yeah. This year is, well, it's not a maybe for Red Bull. It doesn't seem like it's a maybe for Red Bull, nor for Ferrari, nor for McLaren. So this is going to be, I think, a very, very interesting season. And even if you were you were saying that maybe Mercedes is still you know kind of downplaying and sandbagging everybody else, um, I think that the fact that Hamilton spun twice is good enough evidence that there's something amiss with them. Yeah. Um, who knows? I mean, one of the things that we have seen with Mercedes is they probably have the one of the best, if not the best, team when it comes to engineering and R and D. The team has been extremely solid. They've been able to innovate every year. And every year that they innovated, they have come out with great results. So the fact that they're struggling right now, or that they're appearing that they're struggling right now, that doesn't mean that that's what we're going to see towards the end of the season. I mean, if there's one team right now that could really turn things around and dial things in, it's probably going to be Mercedes. But at the same time, it's a double-edged sword because they've never found themselves in this position before. Uh, for the last few years so maybe they have gotten comfortable and with always being at the top and now that there's really a lot of competition coming uh, through the pipe maybe they maybe i don't know this is just a, a, an estimate i guess for me maybe they just are not going to be quick enough to react or they won't know how to react and that's not only from the team standpoint but also from the drivers i mean let's be honest lewis has is he's used to to winning yeah and uh, this could be a season where he's just really going to have to put in the overdrive and the extra effort to try to win and maybe to prove how good he is. So well, we'll I, I think that this is probably a really controversial statement, but if it comes down to equal machines, I give the edge to Max Verstappen. I mean, the, the, he, the, the dude's an animal yeah. he's an absolute animal and you know I mean, of course it's hard to argue against lewis hamilton he has the track record but he also he's had a long history you know he hasn't really been challenged in the last couple of years maybe his his mental uh you know his uh his competition state of mind is is different but he struggles when he's pushed he has always been someone who's easy to get inside their head and to force them to make mistakes when he's truly being challenged. And, you know, again, maybe, maybe he's overcome that, right. Maybe. There's evidence to suggest that he has, there's evidence to suggest that he hasn't. And, 
you know, in that situation, I just, in my mind, I have to give the edge to Max Verstappen because he's, he is just fierce when it comes yeah. to this. And, you know, and, and with the exception, of course, the, the position that Lewis Hamilton has found himself over the last few years, um, that's really a, a common attribute for some of the greatest drivers is you just have to be extremely fierce. Yeah. You don't, you don't care about anybody else. Uh, and I'm saying that very lightly to not use strong words in our podcast, but you don't care about anybody else but yourself. And you're willing to, to take whatever risk is necessary and more in the track to prove yourself. Yeah. And, you know, in, in a lot of things, you know, the way that Max Verstappen drives is also the way that Senna used to drive back in the day. He was also a very aggressive driver. He would go to the gap and, uh, you know, even Martin Brundle, who raced with Senna, I remember him saying in an interview, you know, Senna would put you in a position that um, it was your choice whether you would have the accident or not. It wasn't Senna's choice, but he would he would give you that position. And if you had the accident, well, you had the accident. But if you didn't have the accident, then Senna knew what he had to do to put you in that position, and mentally you were gone. You were destroyed for him. Yeah. And yeah, Verstappen definitely. is a little bit of the same way. He mm -hmm. will just dive himself into the gap. He will put you in that, in that position that – if you're gonna have an accident, he'll let the other driver decide if they're having an accident or not. Yeah. But if you if the other driver decides not to have the accident, he knows exactly what he needs to do every time to get in your head. Yeah, Max Verstappen is like doing jujitsu in race cars. Yes, he's he's yeah. using your. That's actually a really good example, uh, of because he's he's using your position against you, and he remembers. Okay, I did this. Put pressure on him. He caved in. I'm gonna do that again. Right. And then, and, he, and then he intentionally gets you in that position. You know, R Ricciardo does, uh, he does the similar, he does a similar thing, actually. I think that's one of the reasons why they, they couldn't get along. Um, because he, he like studies how to do passes. I mean, he's the best passer in formula one bar none. And he studies it and he remembers, okay, this driver on this type of corner, I can get an advantage here. Of course, his big thing is he's, phenomenal under braking and so he can pretty much catch anybody you know with his late braking but you know max max does a lot of that he does a lot of mental jujitsu and i think that that's kind of lewis hamilton's weakness so it it it, it could i hesitate to say that because i don't want to let myself down but this could be a really really fantastic formula one season Yes, you know what's the sad thing I think about this whole thing is that it's taking us, or when I mean us, Formula One, it, uh, I should say more, it's taking Formula One such a long time to get here, and then next year we change the regulations, which could potentially mean that another team will come up, if Mercedes or maybe some other team will come up at the top, and then they will dominate for the next how many years. Yeah. Because right now, if we look at what's happening right now in practice, we have the Mercedes powertrain, which has always been fantastic. Uh, at the top, as they always have, but some problems with the chassis. But then you have the Ferrari powertrain, which is up there. And then you have the Honda powertrain, which last year we saw a glimpse of what they could do. And this year we're seeing that they're really up there. They have really figured things out with that Honda powertrain. I, I have I have heard that from from those who are much wiser on this than I am. I have heard that last year 
the Honda powertrain was 300 horsepower down on the Mercedes. Jeez. Yeah. I guess that just speaks about not only Verstappen, but the chassis itself. Yeah. Well, I mean, you get diminishing returns, right? I mean, like the difference between a thousand horsepower and 700 horsepower from the internal combustion engine, that's not as big of a difference as 600 horsepower and 900 horsepower is, and it's not as big, you know, I mean, the higher horsepower you get, the more actually the, the less dependent you are on the horsepower. But anyways, that's a topic for another day. But, but still 300 horsepower is 300 horsepower. It's significant. Yes. And it is, and it is significant. And I have every belief that Honda has cracked the engine. They figured it out. And that's why Red Bull wanted the engine freeze because they said, look, we, we finally caught up or, or we're close enough we can get the engine freeze. And if we're on equal grounds, then we think we have the advantage. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but now that you say it, I think you're, you're spot on. I think that it makes a lot of sense that they wanted that. They were saying, even if we're a little bit still under Mercedes powertrain, give us a great driver enter max in the room and have a great chassis and we can make, we can make up the difference. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think, I think that if Red Bull, I think that Red Bull thinks that if they're within 200 horsepower, I think that they think they have an advantage. Yeah. Now, I think that they wouldn't have, I, I think that at 200 horsepower, of course, they're probably anticipating Mercedes getting another slight horsepower bump. But if Honda was able to add two, 300 horsepower on from their last year's engine, it totally makes sense why they requested this engine freeze. And the fact that they got it, Hey, you know, good, good. We'll for see. Them, so. Yeah. And it, w- one of the things that's going to be interesting and we'll see how things kind of pan out throughout the season. If, if let's say that Honda was able to extract those two, 300 horsepower extra of the powertrain, we don't know how that's going to affect reliability long term. Yeah. And so I mean, it is a Honda. No, no, I'm just kidding. Maybe that doesn't mean anything in a Formula One engine. Well, tell that to Alonso. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, poor Alonso. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's it's no secret that, uh, of course, when Honda came back, uh, yeah, it's no secret that the reliability was a huge issue. And yeah. obviously, over the last couple of years, they've really, really stepped up their game and reliability has not been... Uh, nowhere near a problem how it was when they they came back to f1 uh this last time but you know there it does beg that question you know maybe the powertrain now is more powerful than last year how is that going to affect reliability we don't know and that's something that we'll just have to wait and see how the season goes i think that mercedes may have that advantage because even if they have the same power as last year well they're going to keep the reliability it's it's a tried and tested powertrain that has worked very well for them. And yeah. every time you you bump up the power, you, you you know, you go beyond what you had already established, you also run the risk of entering some reliability issues that you didn't have before. Yeah. So we'll see. Indeed. Well, but yeah, exciting season, that's for sure. And uh, I'm really looking forward to the race this Sunday. I I am too. I yeah, it's I think it's Well, anyways, we will be back next week where we will talk about it.
we will talk about it and we will see if Mercedes came up top or if they're really having some major problems. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, I think that does it for this week. Thank you listeners for listening. We hope that you enjoyed the podcast because we like doing this. So we, we certainly. That's it for this week's limited slip podcast. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss our insights into next week's automotive news. If you want to help us keep the content coming, leave a five-star review and visit our businesses at DaveTheCarImporter.com, where Dave helps clients import their dream cars from South America and Europe for a flat fee. Or Borja's business on Facebook at Auto Pros Utah, a full-service auto repair shop. It's been Dave and Borja on this week's Limited Slip Podcast. <laughs>